Hey, welcome to Element. If you're new uh, and you don't own a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. If you forgot one, you can use one. We are, we've switched uh, two weeks ago to the ESV, the English Standard Version. There's a whole blog on our website about that. Uh, if you are looking for a new Bible and wanted to pick one up somewhere, I actually talked to Crossway, who are the publishers of the ESV Bible. If you go to crossway.org forward slash ECC for Element Christian Church, you, they'll give you 40% off any of their Bibles, study Bibles, pre-order Bibles, girly pink Bibles, manly black Bibles, you know, whatever. You can go there, and if you want to order any of them, they'll give you 40% off. So if you want to pick up your own ESV that, that doesn't like it this big when it gets soaked in the rain, that's good for you, so you can do that. There are also sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called YouVersion. Uh, you click on Live, brings us up by GPS, and you'll get all the sermon notes and Bible verses as well. And just to let you know, we are still working on our own app for the iPhone and eventually maybe for the Android if you guys are lucky. Uh, but, but I got an iPhone, so I really don't care about you, so whatever. Uh, and uh, it'll, it'll do the same thing. It'll give you the verses, hopefully in the right order sometimes, because version messes that up. Uh, if, if you have kids and they do anything in the children's department, I would encourage you at, at some point, one, to thank Christy and all the people who help out back there, but also they're looking for people to, to help, uh, especially teachers in the elementary rooms. And that doesn't mean that you have to you know, have a, a Bible degree or anything like that. They will teach you. They will train you. And if you would like to help out, that'd be great because she really needs the help right now. And then lastly, I'll tell you this as we begin. We have a lady who's starting a thing called Element Moms. Uh, she at one point was asked to, there's a thing called the Orchid Moms Club in Orchid, because that's why they call it the Orchid Moms Club. But anyway, she, they asked her to, to oversee it. And as she was thinking about it, she thought, you know what, I should do this at Element. And so she, she's doing this thing where she's starting an Element Moms Club, which will then reach out to the rest of the community and try and get other moms involved in that. Uh, their, their gospel community, their, their community group is, is behind this. And so what they're going to do when the ladies go out for playdates with their kids, they're going to invite the guys out to do things. And so it's kind of like a whole little community thing. If you are interested in being involved in Element Moms, Laura will be in the back by the information table afterwards. Just talk to her and get set up with that. Why don't you stand me reading to God's Word? Get right into this. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we as a people ask that you would help us to remember the things of excellence, the things that you have given us in our lives that we can focus on that are great gifts from you that our lives would be reflective of those gifts and that those around us would see how good you are because of how we are living our lives honoring you. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in the Song of Solomon. <clears throat> we started last week with a historical look, calling it our summer of love because we got, you know, like, hey, surfboards and all that kind of stuff. We did a biblical introduction to how God sees intimacy and oneness. And, and yes, we will examine more of what that looks like, but the Song of Solomon covers so much more than just sex and intimacy. But to get where we're going to today, we've got to start in Genesis chapter 2. So open your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. Everybody's got to get messages like this a few times a year, so I'll hit you a little bit with stuff and then we'll go. Our, our premise we started with last week is that sex is not gross and sex is not a God, but sex is simply a gift. This is first seen in Genesis chapter 2, verses starting in verse 18. 
And this is the whole idea that marriage and sex and intimacy, what you see in Genesis 2, this is before into the sin into the world, before everything goes bad. This is God's original intent. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 starts like this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. There is no sin in the world. Everything is as it should be. And yet Adam was alone, and God says, This is not a good thing. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So what you see is God gives Adam something to do, a job. He, he says, go to work. Work is a good thing. It's given to us by God. Adam was to tend the garden, take care of the animals, and name them. I'm sure Adam does this with great fervency. Everything is new. I'm sure even spiders weren't that scary at that point. He's like, oh, it's spider. Ah! You know, and God can make more. It's okay. You know, Just put them on the trees. Over there, everything's wonderful and beautiful. So Adam, Adam's clocks in, starts doing his job. What is interesting from a Hebrew perspective in this sense is that in this naming process, Adam is taking responsibility for the things that he names. This is one of the reasons God has him name the creatures. So Adam will understand that all of the vibrancy of creation is under his domain and under his care. This is why if you uh, get a pet... You name the pet. When you name the pet, you feel more ownership of it. When you have a child, not that they're the same thing because they're not at all, but if you have a kid, you get a birth certificate, you write their name on it, you are responsible for that child. God is reinforcing in Adam the trust which has been bestowed upon him as this man. Every creature is to be under his protection and his attentive care. And so he can love creation or he can destroy creation by the decisions he makes and how he manages what God has placed under his care. So as the naming process proceeds, Adam begins to notice something. There are two kinds of every animal. It's like, oh, there's a dog. There's another kind of dog. There's a cow, and that one's got horns, so I run away. Don't show it red. It'll run me over. You know, maybe there's a deer. There's another kind of deer. Maybe his mind is spinning with the differences. He probably begins to look for someone like him that's maybe different than him, and maybe not even knowing what that would look like. Verse 20, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, God already knows, knows this. This is one of the reasons God has him name the animals. When God says, it is not good for a man to be alone, I will make a helper fit for him, God has Adam foresee the need, and then he provides for that need. There is no other creature on the entire planet that will complete the man to be a corresponding helper like the woman. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and when he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So while Adam is sleeping, God takes out one of Adam's ribs. Very tricky procedure, but not so much for God. And this is going to be a helper fit for him. The literal word used is make or built, which is the only place in the creation narrative this word is used, meaning that the woman that God creates is going to be unique, one of a kind, made from Adam's rib, yet distinct to be his helper. I know there's a lot of women today that are like, helper, that's so terrible. I have a woman, hear me roar. You know, I'm not like hamburger. I'm not a hamburger helper. That's not what this is. See? But helper is not a term of denigration. Helper is a term of necessity. It's the Hebrew word ezer. It means a fitting helper. It's one that corresponds to Adam's humanity. None of the animals that were created were complement to Adam's nature. Nothing connected him and completed him like the woman. A man is not a corresponding helper for a man. You get two dudes together and things blow up, catch on fire, nothing gets done right. They're not corresponding helpers. God's intent is that a man and a woman would correspond and help each other. 
And what you see is the woman comes from his side, not from his head, so it's not feminism, not from his feet, so it's not chauvinism. It's from his side, so they are equals. They are equals. That's If, if you're married, put your arm around your spouse, depending on what side they're on, okay? Have them snuggle in, see? That's home sweet home right there, see? Because they're... Don't let go yet. Don't be like, okay, done. No. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, yeah, done. What happened to you on the car on the way down here? Verse 23. <laughs> then the man said, this at last is bones of my, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam sings to her. He woos her. He sings a great love song. He wants her to know, I am going to care for you and protect you and take care of you as best I can because you are my helper and my soulmate. Adam sings these words, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The literal Hebrew rendering is this one at last. As opposed to all the other animals, Adam has found his right soulmate at last. Man and woman, both in the image of God, both with a purpose, both suitable helpers for each other. Adam says he cannot separate himself from his need for his wife any more than he could separate his bones from his flesh and still live. And then what he does is something amazing. He names her. He names her. He names her woman. Adam promises before God in front of the woman to forever take care of her. Now, the word for man in Hebrew is ish. When he names her woman, he names her isha, which means he gives her a name that is derived from his own name. Therefore, he acknowledges her to be his equal. Men and women are incomplete without each other. We cannot properly live, love, or even worship God till we understand what this looks like living as one flesh. And so now Moses gets to it in his commentary on what has just happened. Verse 24 says, Therefore, it means because of all this, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now you have to understand this in context. A man leaves doesn't mean your mom and dad get a flat tire on the side of the road. And you're like, i got to leave. That's not what you do. A man leaves his father and mother means a man gets a job. He gets a life, a place to live, a church to worship at, a faith he, call, he, faith he calls his own, a faith that can lead, love, and guide his spouse. Marriage is no place for a boy that will not, not fight for the honor of their spouse. Marriage is for men. So a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. This is a euphemism for marriage. A man that will use a woman and not marry a woman is not a man. And then he says, and they shall become one flesh, and that then is Sex. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. God's intent, right there. Marriage equal, created, uh, different, yet equal. Men and women have different roles to play in this. So let me recap this for you before we get to Song of Solomon. First one is this. God made our bodies male and female and God said it was good. And it was good. You need to see your body as a gift from God. It's not like God made people, accidentally left them naked and went out to go get coffee and came back and said, Oh my goodness, what are they doing? If I knew that was going to happen, I'd give them different plumbing. You know, I don't know what's going on with that. God created it, called it good. It is His design. Secondly, one man plus one woman plus one lifetime equals marriage. That is the context where sexual intimacy is to be enjoyed. One writer writes this. He says, Marriage is the fireplace that holds the flames of passion and desire. Simply put, this means for all people everywhere, any sex outside of marriage is sin. Before marriage, it's fornication. In addition to marriage, it's adultery. It is one man, one woman, one lifetime. That is where intimacy is to be enjoyed. Third thing is the standard for beauty is your spouse. The standard for beauty is, the standard for beauty is your spouse. You must understand this. God tells Adam he is going to make him a helper fit for him. Adam goes off naming animals. And he may be going around going, okay, we're going to call that a sea manatee. That's not it, right? Okay, thank God. Okay, we're going to call that an elephant. That one's not it, right? 
No, okay, good. All right, that's a porcupine. I'm not even going to ask. Okay. And then he sees a woman. And he's going to be like, oh, oh, I picked that, I picked that one. That's, that's, that, that's, that's the one. I mean, it doesn't matter what she looked like compared to all the other options. She was awesome. And, and, and I'm sure she was awesome. You know, God didn't do the basket thing. He doesn't bring Adam all kinds of ladies. He brings him one lady. Our society is date, 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 emotionally connect, kiss, inappropriate activity. That is not God's plan. The standard of beauty is always your spouse. Adam didn't have a hundred dates. He had a wife. She had a husband. Everyone must have their spouse as their standard of beauty. If you married someone tall, you like tall. If you married someone short, you like short. If you married someone skinny, you like skinny. If you married someone skinny, they're not skinny anymore. Well, your standard changed. <laughs> and as you grow older, your standard must change. When you are 75 years old, you know what your standard is? A 75-year-old smoking spouse. That's what your standard is. Lust is comparing your spouse to other people and desiring other people. Job 31.1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. One man, one woman. Marriage, and the last one in this, is sexist for oneness and not to be connected with shame. There are some of you in here, and I know you're single, and you might think this series is going to be awkward, but 93% of you will get married. And you should hear this. Sex should never be done in a way that breaks oneness or causes shame. What that literally means, I think, for most of us is there's no pornography involved in a marriage. It is you and your spouse, and nobody else comes into that. As a married couple, when you're married, what is permissible to do together? Real anything. As long as it brings oneness and doesn't bring shame, no one is disrespected or abused. So there's my little introduction. Now we get to Song of Solomon. Man, woman, God. Song of Solomon is a series of love songs between a man and a woman. Every once in a while, the friends jump in. But it's like a, a great guy songwriter and a girl poet, and they're writing things to each other. It is frank without being crass. It is fun. It's beautiful. It is very free. Actually, for years during the Passover, the Jews would read the Song of Solomon and sing the songs. In the book, you will meet the man. Uh, This is Solomon. You are told this six times. We'll talk more about him next week. His father is David. His mother is Bathsheba. It's a crazy story. We'll get him next week. Uh, You also meet the woman. The book never identifies the woman. Uh, There's lots of conjecture, whether she's a concubine or whether she's poor, where she grew up and stuff like that. But I read a couple of commentaries, and I really like this view. Uh, a couple of commentaries reference her to a woman named Abishag. And I like this idea because it's very romantic. In 1 Kings 1, 1 through 4, you meet a woman named Abishag. King David is old. Uh, they bring in a young woman to attend him and keep him warm at night. And he never has sex with her. He never sleeps with her. In 1 Kings 1, 1 through 4, it says this. Now, King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore, a servant said to him, You'll let a young woman be brought herself my lord the king and let her wait on the king and be in his service let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm so they sought a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king the young woman was very beautiful and she was in service to the king and attended to him but the king knew her not that means he did not have sex with her so the speculation is that Solomon as a very young man he sees this young woman attentively care for her, his dying father with honesty and love and faithfulness and he falls in love with her Later, when Solomon becomes king, his brother comes in and wants to marry Abishag, and and Solomon says no and then kills him for it. So there may may be something going on there. I'm not too sure. Uh, The the Shunammite, uh, in Song of Solomon, the woman is a Shunammite. This is where Abishag comes from. She was poor, just like Abishag, so it could be the same woman. 
The third group you meet is a group of community. These are the friends who love this young couple. These are, uh, again, friends. The friends could all be hers or they could be both of theirs. If it's just hers, it seems biblical that women have a lot of friends. If you want to court and woo a woman, you've got to make their friends like you too. So that's how it works. Uh, the Song of Solomon doesn't really go in straight order. It's kind of on a random shuffle. So we're kind of trying to point that out, what's happening and what verses during the song. So open your Bibles, the Song of Songs, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I feel like the Joker and Batman, and away we go. This is chapter 1, verse 1, Song of Solomon. And it says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. This means these are his best songs. When you say Song of Songs, it's like King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's like the King over all, the Lord over all. That's Jesus, in case you don't know that, by the way. The Holy of Holies. Scripture records in Second Chronicles 1.10 that Solomon asks God for wisdom, and God gives him wisdom. The rabbinical teaching holds that Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs, and these are his best songs. And what we look at today is going to be very practical. So we'll say, oh, I didn't feel very spiritual in church today. That's okay. Practical is spiritual. And when you start these songs, who starts them? This is really cool. Who starts talking first? The one who speaks of their love and their longing first? It's the woman. It is the woman. Most Christian women are taught men play offense and, and you play defense. But not here. She is the one. She says, this is what I like. This is what I want. The husband, you know, in most marriages today, the husband's like, hey, 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 hey. And the girl's like, block, block, wax on, wax off, paint the fence. You know? <laughs> and, the, and that's not how it's supposed to be. It is not how it's supposed to be. It's, this is beautiful. Christian wives, you are totally free to go on the offense. You go, hey, 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 hey. And if he's like, wax on, wax off, he told him to come talk to me. Well, tell him to repent. <laughs> the woman speaks first. She speaks most. She speaks last. She is passionate. She has desires. And that doesn't make her dirty in the book. It makes her godly because it's not what you do. It's who you do it with. It's not the desires. It is where they are pointed. She is excited about her husband, and she wants to be with her husbands. Ladies, you can be free and be holy, provided it's in the context of marriage. Now, you don't have to be this way. I know some of you are, are very shy, and, you, and you're not like this, but I will tell you, men like this. If you are a strong, vocal, passionate, curious woman, you have the freedom to express it. Enjoy your marriage. Enjoy your spouse. This is what she says, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Beautiful. She says, if you want to kiss me, then kiss me. Stop all the show and the passive-aggressive. Oh, you know, you never want to if I didn't say anything. You're serious. She goes, kiss me. If you want to, just kiss me. Kiss me in the bedroom. Kiss me in the closet. Kiss me in the kitchen. Just kiss me. Yes, most guys, they go, that's a good idea. You know, let's, I'll, I'll kiss her. That, that, that's, that's a good thing to do. If you're married right now, I want you to look at your spouse. And if they're here, look at your spouse. Kiss them. If you, if you, there you go. If you came here mad, you're going to leave happy. <laughs> that, is, that is my goal, make you leave here happy. If you're dating, don't do it. All right? Don't do it. Just watch everybody else. Now, I'll tell you. The, the, not in the European style, okay? Um, this, is, this is the deal. Kissing, that, this is what, uh, kissing is an indicator of the health of a marriage. When people fight, it's statistically shown that the first thing that goes is the kiss. And when she talks, she's not talking about a European, oh, mwah, mwah, how you do? It's, it's a kiss. It's a, it's a good kiss. Secondly, I believe kissing is good for your kids to see. If your kids are like, oh, gee, stop it, get a room. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Your kids need to understand that you guys are passionate and you love each other. That is, that is beautiful. When you come home from work, you don't hug the kids. You kiss your spouse. They need to know that this is a relationship that they came out of this one first. Third thing is kissing is good for immunity. 
If you are in the homeopathic, all natural, no preservative stuff, kiss. It is, it is shown that the swapping of saliva between two people consistently, the same two, actually boosts your immune system. <laughs> Nothing is so rotten as a cold during the summer, and I know because I'm just getting over one, and it's awful. It's terrible. There are germs and viruses. Don't get a flu shot. Kiss your spouse. <laughs> it's biblical. And kissing burns two calories. You want to lose weight? Kiss your spouse. If you do it right, it could burn a lot more. She says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Now, this is good, too, because the word love here, it's the word dode. It's, it's the sexual kind of love. We'll talk more about this in a, in a couple of weeks. But this is where the Greek word eros, which we get erotic from. Love is good. She says, wine is good. Here's my disclaimer. If you are an alcoholic, don't drink. If you get angry when you drink, don't drink. And if you're under 21, don't drink. But if you do drink, set your standards high. Don't drink wine out of a box, okay? <laughs> you, you, set them, you set them high. You are redeemed. You love Jesus. Drink wine like it. Good, smooth. You know, you, you don't go buy Bud Light. That's evil. Get some good, smooth, relaxing wine. And this is what she says love is like. Oh, love is like a good, smooth wine. You know what wine is better? Wine is better when it's paired with food. And she says, this is what we are like. We are better when we are paired together. She says, your anointing oils are fragrant. She says, you smell nice. That's a, you smell nice. Ecclesiastes 9, 9, Solomon says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. See, wives are for loving. This is a gift of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Solomon gives a lot of wisdom for guys in marriage. He says, Wear nice clothes, dress up for her. And he says, again, smell nice. Men, shower, shower. Wash your hair. Wear cologne so you don't smell like a dude. All right? If you, if you smell like a men's locker room after a rugby match, I don't care what I say, she's not going to want to be around you. Okay? You must bathe with soap and water. I recommend personally, you let your wife pick your cologne. You're just like, I don't, I don't care. I don't wear cologne. It don't, I don't care. It matters what she likes. What does she want you to smell like? That's what you should smell like. I, mean, I tell you, my wife... I go out and I, uh, there's a couple ladies who do Mary Kay here, and I'm like, I need some new cologne. And so they bring me a bunch of testers, and they go, which one do you want? And I go, I don't know, and I give them to my wife. And I go, what is it? She's like, I like this one. I'll take that one. I don't care what it smells like as long as she likes it. I'm good with that. And my wife picks my cologne. You brush your teeth. You groom yourself. We'll cover that later as well. <laughs> so I got this. So on the way home, men, this is what you're going to do. You're going to look at your wife if you're married, and you're going to ask her a question. Number one, is there anything I can do to make myself more attractive to you? Ask that question. Okay? And you, and you, this is, it's biblical and it's practical, okay? Ask them the question, is there anything I can do? And listen, and listen. This may be a hard question. I mean, you may be like, you know, do I keep the one eyebrow or do I go for two? You know, you, you got, you got to ask the hard question. And don't, again, don't get all passive-aggressive about it. you got to ask. She is your helper. That's what God designed her to be. We'll talk to her next week, so make sure she comes back after this, by the way. Verse 3, your name is oil poured out, therefore the virgins love you. And here she talks about his character. She talks about his integrity. I mean, this, this many problems that couples think, oh, we'll just solve all our problems in the bedroom. No, most problems in a marriage are solved outside the bedroom. If you have problems in the bedroom, most of those are solved outside the bedroom as well. 
She talks about his character. If you are a harsh husband or a lazy husband or a can't-keep-a-job husband or a drunkard husband or a gambler husband or a boat, motorcycle golf husband that's always pursuing his hobbies and never pursuing his wife, well, then you are a selfish husband. You are very selfish. Guys, most women are not going to care how much money you make. She wants to be able to respect you. She wants to be proud of you. She wants to be able to say, that is my husband. Aren't you all jealous? He is a great guy. He loves Jesus. He loves the kids, and I love him. Most women who struggle to be attracted to their men, it is usually related to their character. So the next question I want you to ask your wife on the way home, and this is a hard question. You must ask, is there anything in my character that you find unattractive? And again, you must listen to the answer. Don't get all, oh, well, we're not going out to lunch now. We're going home. You know? <laughs> you must listen to what she says. She is your helper. You receive it, and then you change. If you do this in humility, this repentance will be attractive to your spouse, and she will see the beginnings of new character, and it will be wonderful. Verse 4, she says, Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. There are only a couple of ways to do a marriage. One is to push. This is where with fear and intimidation, you raise your voice, you cuss her out, you scare her, you shove her. That's abuse. It is disgusting. The second way is to carry somebody. It's enabling. It's like, oh, codependent, I'll tend to you. I clean up after you. It's like a parent and a child. It's not a husband and a wife. But what she says is the third way, and that is draw me after you. In a relationship, we are to be desirable to each other, attractive, playful, fun, available, interested. You draw them in. It's a husband and a wife available to each other and having fun with each other. It's how can I keep your attention how can I draw you to me? She wants to be drawn. Then in verse 5, and I'm skipping a couple of verses. We'll deal with those in two weeks. She continues. And, and again, this is how she sees herself, her perspective on her own appearance. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. This could be a mixed marriage. She could have dark brown skin, and he's, and he's an Israelite. This is beautiful in this, in this marriage. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Now what is interesting throughout the Song of Solomon is you hear her mom and her brothers. You never hear about her father. She might have been raised by a single mom. And she says that her family is poor. She has to go outside to work. She probably got her hair in a ponytail, dirt under her nose, the, uh, under her hand, under fingernails. Sorry, under her fingernails. She, <laughs> the sun is on her all the time. And what she literally says is, "I don't meet our cultural standard of beauty. I don't look like everybody else." In this day, the beautiful women were pale because they were kept inside; they didn't have to go out to work. And the other ones went outside and worked, and they weren't considered as pretty. The poor common gals would be outside. Now today, it's just the opposite: tan is in and pale is out, which is a bummer if you're like me because I'm very pale. Like I go outside, hit the sun, and I like turn like red like a tomato, peels off, and I'm back to pale. So it, it doesn't really work. But what she says is, I don't belong on the cover of a magazine. I am simple. And you know what this tells you? It tells you the same thing is true then as is today. Statistically speaking, most women are insecure with their appearance. She looks down on herself. Now, she's radiant enough to catch the eye of the king because of her character. But every woman has things about themselves they wish they could change. She is beautiful to her husband. My third question is this. Men, do your wives know that you think they're beautiful? And you may say, oh, yeah, they do. Do you tell them? Do they have to be like, stop it. Quit talking about how great I am. Oh, just That's what you need to be like, always telling them how beautiful they are. Let me ask this in a practical way for men and women, both of you together, especially if you hate the way you look. i got two hard questions. One is, are you a good steward of your body? 
Are you a good steward of your body? Scripture tells us we are to be good stewards of what God has given us. Are you a good steward of your body? Do you eat well? Do you exercise? Are you healthy? And the second question is, do you make a sincere effort to remain attractive to your spouse? Again, very practical. Husbands and wives. I mean, ladies, you don't don't just say yes because you put on makeup. Most guys really don't care about makeup that much. Guys, you just don't say yes because you mowed the lawn. You think that's enough to give you a six-pack and a workout. Okay? Because it's it's not. Have you gotten lazy in your appearance, with your weight, with your love, with the way you give? For me personally, I shower every day, sometimes twice. I brush my teeth multiple times. If my wife is frisky or if I'm feeling frisky, I don't eat salsa. I don't, I don't lounge around the house in sweats. I, I wear the clothes that she buys me. She didn't buy me this shirt, by the way. You can probably tell. Um, if all of your shirts come from the auto parts store or from, like, box top from cigarettes or, or labels from beer cans, let her take you shopping. Reconsider your wardrobe. I'm not trying to make you metrosexual, but if she likes it, wear it. What does it matter what everybody else wants? What does she want? That's what you wear. If your shoes stink, you get new shoes. If you shed like an animal, take more showers. That's just simply what you do. Now, you may be irritated when I say some of this stuff to you, but I'm being really honest, and you may judge me and say, well, you don't look that great. Right. Imagine if I didn't even try what I would look like. I mean, this is with effort. (laughs) I I do push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups, and these are the guns I get. You make an effort to be attractive to one another. Again, it goes back to the first question. Is there anything I can do to be more attractive to you? And this is what she closes with. Verse 7. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who bails herself beside the flocks of your companions? Now, what you just said is that he is busy. He shepherds the nation of Israel. He is busy all day long. She's like, look, I'm your wife. I'm not going to hide. Where are you at? I will come and I will, I will meet you there. You have demands on you. This is a woman who gives. She doesn't say, oh, I'm frustrated, get lost. She says, I know you're busy. Tell me where you're going to be and I will go and meet you. Again, this is a woman who gives and gives and gives. And what you'll see is that she is married to a man who gives and gives and gives. This is what a marriage is supposed to be. This woman speaking first, speaking last, saying what she wants, being open and available. And as practically as I can make the next three weeks, you must be open and available to each other. That's what God calls us to be in a marriage. God has given us wonderful gifts in our spouses. And part of worship to God is also being a gift back to them. Marriage is two people and Christ. It is mutual love, mutual abandon to each other. Strength comes from this institution that God created. And you can have a lot of strength. You surrender your pride. You learn to grow into what the other person needs because that is part of your responsibility in Christ. God's desire is that you enjoy one another for a lifetime. And when you become humble and serve the other person, you will be able to love that other person. They will love you for a lifetime. It is all about surrender. This, again, is one of the reasons every week we come to this place of communion because communion is about surrender. It is about surrendering ourselves to who He is. And in doing that, we realize how He wants us to live. I will tell you that the divorce rate inside the Christian church is as high or higher than outside the church. What do you think our lives would be like if we actually lived the scriptures, the practicality of, say, the Song of Solomon, and the divorce rate in the church plummets? And imagine outside, it's like outside the church, the divorce rate is 50%, and yet in the church, it's like five. Don't you think people would be drawn to who Christ is and like, what's the difference there? Well, it's Jesus. It's the practicality of how he calls us to live. We must surrender our lives to who he is and who he calls us to be.
Today in communion, we'll take that cracker and you'll break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grapes, you start reminding us of His blood that was shed for you and I. So we can remember to be a people who are surrendered to Him. The band's going to come up. They'll do a couple songs. As they do these songs, take a few moments and, and think through your head, how am I going to ask these questions to my wife on the way home? <laughs> and then how am I going to react when she answers me? Honestly, don't be all like, oh no, you're fine. Tell her what it is. What do you need? Say it. I'm here to help. I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, we will worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for you and your spouse, go back and meet with them and pray with them. Uh, if, if you have never met Christ, I mean, this is the reason why we do what we do. I mean, again, this will never make any sense to you if you don't know who Jesus Christ is. So you must surrender your life to him. Uh, we'll worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the back. And we give because God gives so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. Uh, I don't know if there's food in the back because they're doing the tri-tip barbecue. Maybe they're trying to force you out that way to help out the youth. But whatever. Get to know some other people and meet. Again, in all of our gospel communities right now, we're having them go through the questions that go along with the Song of Solomon. And so you will ask these questions with each other. and Not, not like, so what did your wife say she doesn't like about you? Nothing like that, right? But, but they're just practical questions that kind of go along with the message. Because we need each other to help grow into who God's calling us to be. So we encourage you to meet some other people, worship God through the fellowship that He provides. Be the husband or the wife that God is calling you to be. Wow, that's a crazy kid. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we do ask that you would make our hearts humble and yet also make our hearts excited. Humble in the sense that we realize that we must give and that we must change, but excited on the other side for what that can look like, for what that change means to us as your people, to us as a husband or a wife. Father, again, for those in this room today who are single, Uh, I ask that you would give them much excitement as they look forward to what you will provide them with someday. For those of us who are married, I ask for the ones who are struggling right now with this whole thing and and how do I give and how do I really show them that I care about them when I don't feel attracted to them anymore. Father, I ask that you would give them a new burning desire in their hearts for their spouse. For those of us who are married and, and kind of live in this a little bit, I ask that you would give us the strength to continue and to persevere. And in all that we do to honor you, that our marriages would be reflections of how you love your church, of how you love your people, and that those around us could see how you love us by how we love each other. Father, we ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen.